Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's Sermon Podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, check us out on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on November 29, 2020 in Brandon, South Dakota on the basis of Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 37. mercy and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll invite you to please stand as we'll read the, the gospel lesson, also the basis for our sermon this morning from Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 37. Jesus says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes, suddenly do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, fill our hearts with the truth of your word this morning. Convict us with your law. Comfort us with your gospel. Allow us to walk away from today ready to live for you and ready to watch for your coming. In your name, amen. You may be seated. One of the, the side effects that I've learned about expecting a child is that you no longer get to measure your life in years or months, but you now measure your life in weeks. How many weeks along are you? How many weeks is it until you get to meet this little one? <laughs> and so it's taken a little getting used to. I now know how many weeks along my wife is. I know how, approximately how many weeks it is until we get to meet this little bundle of, of joy. But it still has taken some getting used to, and I don't think I've gotten used to it fully yet, because I still have to do the, the mental math. Okay, if she's 27 weeks along, and there's four weeks in a month, 27 divided by four is six months and three weeks. Okay, if if you're typically pregnant for between nine months and ten months, how many weeks is that? That's 36 or 40. Okay, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> you get the picture, right? And there comes a time when we stop talking like that, right? And it's probably a good thing that that's the case, right? When a child gets more than a few weeks old and now we move into months and eventually we move into years, it's a good thing because I'm 28 and that would make me 1,456 weeks old. <laughs> and when people ask me how old I am, I already have a hard time remembering 27, 29, no, no, 28, okay. I'm not going to remember 1,456. And adding one each week, that'd be even harder. That's more than 10,000 days old. That makes you sound really old, doesn't it? <laughs> Some of you are thinking, don't tell me how old I am in days or weeks. 
And then some of you want to pull out your phone right now and figure out how, how old you are in weeks and days too. The point I want to make is, is this. For each one of those 10,000 days that I, I went to bed at night, I, I anticipated and fully expected that I was going to wake up the next morning and that the next day was going to be a lot like the day before that. That I was going to do a lot of the same things. That the sun was going to come up, the sun was going to go down, that there were going to be 24 hours in that day. And I would guess that, that barring just a few exceptions, most of your days have probably been the same. Where you've gone to bed, you fully expected, anticipated that you were going to wake up in the morning and the next day was going to be a lot like the one before that. And it makes sense, right? We kind of get conditioned in that because I've experienced 10,000 days just like that before. And so experience tells me that the next day is not going to be any different than the 10,000 days prior to that. It's going to have 24 hours, the sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set. But every once in a while, God gives us little reminders. <laughs> little reminders that this world had a beginning and this world will one day come to an end. And nobody said it better than, than the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Very picturesque way of him saying this, but occasionally we get to see some of these, these groans. We see the earth groaning as in the pains of childbirth. As you... You watched the news this summer. You saw wildfires out west. You see earthquakes out west. Down, down south and out east, you see hurricanes that, that devastate areas and floods. In our own backyard, we see, we, we see tornadoes. Around the world, you see typhoons and all sorts of other natural disasters. And these are all evidence that the earth is groaning. Just like Paul said. The earth has been groaning since the fall into sin. And it groans up into the present time and it will continue to do so. In fact, those groans will become louder and louder until the day that Jesus comes back and puts an end to the world. <laughs> these groans, these earthquakes, these wildfires, these tornadoes, these hurricanes, these natural disasters are all evidence, visible evidence and visible reminders for you and I that this world had a beginning and it will one day come to an end. And we need those reminders, don't we? We need those reminders because otherwise we go through our years, we go through our months, through our weeks, through our days, fully expecting and anticipating that we're going to have more. That I'm going to have more days. I'm going to have a few more weeks at least. I'm going to have months or years or decades even to do whatever I want to do in my my life, but Jesus, God, wakes us up from time to time and tells us, no, no, you're not, actually. This world had a beginning, and one day it will come to an end, but we don't know when that will be. I want to take a, a quick poll of the congregation here. Um, how many of you have heard of or have watched the Netflix show, The Crown? Raise your hand. Okay, a few more, few more than I expected. Um, I, did Josiah raise his hand too? Way to go, Josiah. Oh, 
awesome. <laughs> uh, Chrissy and I have been watching the, the show The Crown uh, on Netflix, and it's, I've learned quite a bit of, about British history that I didn't know before. I find myself Wikipedia and things uh, about the events that it depicts. But for those of you who aren't familiar with the show, haven't heard of it before, it, it covers the life of Queen Elizabeth II, who is the, the Queen of England, still, still is to this day. And she is nearing um, her mid-90s by this point. And so she has lived through a lot of big historical events. And so this show covers in, in kind of a dramatic fashion, of course, because it's a TV show, right? But it, it covers real historical events that Queen Elizabeth II went through. So I'm going to give you a, a little small spoiler alert here. I, I say small because um, it's going to ruin just a part of an episode for you. So it's not going to ruin the whole show if you still want to watch it. Uh, but there's an episode that, that depicts a real event that happened, a real conversation that happened between the, the Queen of England and a man named Michael Fagan. Uh, Michael Fagan was a, a British man in his mid-upper mid 30s, maybe low 40s. Michael had lived a, a difficult life. He didn't really seem to have a whole lot going for him in his life, and he was frustrated. Some of it was his own fault, uh, some of it w was circumstances, but he was fed up. He was fed up with, with how his life had turned out, and he, he ultimately blamed the British government for how his life had turned out, and he was just looking for someone, someone to hear him. And so he went to all the different channels of people to talk to them about what he thought needed to be fixed and what was wrong with, with their society and, and people kind of listened to him for a little bit, but brushed him off. And he, he always got the impression that nobody was listening. And so, perhaps in a bit of delusion, little mental illness there, he decided that he was going to break into Buckingham Palace and talk to the Queen. After all, she was the one that could affect real change in, in Britain at that time. This guy is not a covert Navy SEAL. He is not planning things out, but he broke into Buckingham Palace, where, where the queen and her family live. He hopped the fence, walked across the courtyard, climbed the side of the building, got in the window, found his way into the queen's room, and they, they had a conversation before the, the guards came in and got him. But as I watched that scene, I couldn't help but think of those guards those guards who work in that palace, and it's their job to keep the queen safe, yet Michael Fagan, with, with no covert plan, no s skills and stealth, was able to hop a fence, walk in full view of several cameras, get into the palace, and talk to the, the queen. I, I think about those guards. I think about how many nights they worked there and nothing happened. You know, maybe some of them worked as many as 10,000 nights there and nothing ever happened. Nothing of note anyways. Maybe of those 10,000 nights, there's maybe just a handful of times that they had a situation to deal with. Otherwise, they'd, they'd use those security cameras to watch the animals that would walk by through the courtroom or through, through the courtyard. But that night, when something did happen, they weren't watching those screens that showed Michael Fagan walking into Buckingham Palace. They were sipping coffee, they were talking, they were unprepared 
They were inattentive. They, they weren't doing the task that they were assigned to do. Jesus kind of paints the similar picture for us today. You don't know the day or the hour. You don't know when Jesus is going to come back again. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back again. Even the angels don't know when Jesus is going to come back again. And so Jesus has some words for us, some, some guidance for us, some direction. He says, be alert and be on your guard. I imagine those guards at Buckingham Palace probably had a similar instruction. As they were being trained in as security guards, whoever trained them probably said, be on your guard. Be alert. you got to stay awake and attentive at all times because this is so important. You never know when danger is going to come in and strike. And yet, much like the guards, we sometimes fail to live our lives with that perspective that Jesus could come back at any time. What if He did come back? What if He came back this week? Would you be ready? Well, maybe we need to define something first. We need to define what it means to be ready. And let's go to God's words to, say, to figure that out. He says, Be on your guard. Be alert. What does he want us to guard? Well, guard what's most important, right? Guard our souls. Guard our faith. Stay away from those dangers of the world that are going to harm your soul, that are going to damage your faith. Stay away from the people and the things that are going to ruin your relationship with God because there are going to be temptations all around you. Every day you walk through a gauntlet of temptations where everything is coming at you from every side and they just want to pull you away. These temptations that are going to threaten to harm your soul, threaten to damage your faith, threaten to ruin your, your, your relationship with God. The devil is good. He is good at this. He has been doing this for a long time and he has nearly perfected his craft of pulling people away from God and his word. And he tells you lies quite constantly. And sometimes we buy into them. That it's, it's okay to, to knowingly sin every once in a while because God's going to forgive me anyways. That it's okay for a season of life to, to live in sin because after all, the overarching thing about God is that He is love and, and He understands. He's going to be okay with me for this season of life just doing this for a little while. We convince our th ourselves that things really aren't that bad that we're doing or that our heart really isn't that sinful and that it's really not that damaging to my, my hope. It's really not that da damaging to my soul and to my peace and to my, to my future. But the dirty little secret is that it is. It is damaging to your soul. Every sin is damaging to your soul and damaging to your faith. And God is not ambivalent about sin. He detests it. He detests sin. Your righteous Lord could come back at any moment. What's He going to find you doing? What's He going to find you thinking? What words is He going to catch coming out of your mouth? What are the things in your life that, that you feel like aren't that bad? You've convinced yourself that they aren't that bad, but you wouldn't want your righteous Lord to see. Have you ordered your life according to God's Word or have you ordered your life according to what's easiest, what feels good and what you, you want to do? 
That's the point of the parable that he's telling us today. It's just a short little parable there where there's a master of the house and the master of the house is going away and he's telling the servants that he's going away and he's going to entrust his house to these servants. He's going to say, you, you do your task, you have your assignment, be faithful. I'm going away and I'm going to come back, but I'm not going to tell you when that is. It could be at any time. You saw him list off several times there. It could be in the evening. It could be at midnight. It could be when the rooster crows. It could be at dawn. It could be any time I could come back. And so what are those servants supposed to do? They're supposed to be faithful, right? They're supposed to work as if their master was right there with them. Because they wouldn't want to slack off. They wouldn't want to leave tasks unfinished because what if the master came back and those things weren't done? What if the master came back and he found them, them sleeping? No, they would be faithful to their task because they would be afraid that their master was going to come back and catch them either unfaithful or, or sleeping. As Christians, it's not bad. It's not bad to have a little bit of that fear every once in a while. We need it. We need it. As I prayed in the beginning, convict us with your law, Lord. That's the law in our hearts is that fear. That fear that, that Jesus could come back at any time, that, that my life should be ordered according to his word, that I should be prepared, that my heart should be prepared for, for his coming because he could come back at any time. It's good to have a little bit of this fear to wake us up to spiritual realities and get us to, to do things that we've been putting off doing for a long time. But it's not the end of the story. There's a missing piece there that's a big piece. Throughout Scripture, when it talks about Jesus coming back and a believer thinking about Jesus coming back, it doesn't say that believers are fearful of that. Every time it talks about Jesus coming back, it talks about how believers are excited that Jesus is coming back. They're ready for Jesus to come back and they invite Him to come back. The Apostle John, at the very end of the last book of the Bible, Revelation, this is the second last verse here. He says this, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. That, those are Jesus' words. And then John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The believer welcomes Jesus' return. The believer is always mindful to, to keep their hearts and souls prepared. <laughs> to remain strong in the faith and to stay away from those things that are going to damage our faith and damage our soul. A believer always wants to order their life after Jesus, but, but above all, a believer looks to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And what Jesus did for us, that, that He was willing to come and live and to die and to, to rise again for, for all of us. That the one who is coming back is not just our judge, but also our Savior. And so a believer is not terrified. A believer is not scared of Jesus coming back, but welcomes Him back and is going to be excited to see their Savior coming in the clouds. A while back, before I knew Chrissy, uh, she, she told me this, this story once of when her parents had left her and her youngest sister. She's the... the the third of four girls, and her and her youngest sister were home and her parents had, had left for the evening for a little while. And uh, they get along really well, so they were goofing around. And they got locked out of their house 
in New Ulm, Minnesota, in the middle of winter, <laughs> uh, not ideal, not ideal. And, and so they, they were regretting it the whole time they were sitting outside and they were freezing. And they were so excited for their parents to come back, but it took a while. It, minutes passed, got close to an hour. They're probably thinking about this time, maybe we should knock on the neighbor's door and see if we could go in there for a little bit, or maybe we need to get somebody to come open our house, figure something else out here. But when their parents pulled in the driveway, they, they were so excited. They were so excited to see their parents because they, they loved their parents, obviously, but they were so excited for that garage door to open, for them to be able to walk into the house and to warm up. And that's how we wait for Jesus, too. It, our world might feel a little cold sometimes, just like that. But as a child waits for their parent, we wait for, for Jesus to come back. We wait excited for Him to come back and to bring with Him all the blessings that He is, he is bringing. That, that heaven is going to be there and you're going to be ushered into your eternal home. It's going to be far more joyful than a cold person coming into a warm house. It's, it's a sinner coming into a perfect place where you have now been made perfect and you're surrounded by perfection. It's indescribable, this eternal home that, that God has waiting for, for us. And so we wait. We wait as a, as a child waits for their parents. I don't know how much longer it's going to be. It could be minutes, it could be days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, far past our lifetimes. But we wait. We wait preparing our hearts for Jesus' return. We wait ordering our life according to, to God's Word. We wait focusing and immersing ourselves in Jesus and His Word as that fully does prepare our hearts for for his coming. And we, like John, can say with full confidence, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.